This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. So some years ago, I was wandering up my street, Roncesvalles Avenue, here in Toronto, where I live. And I wandered into my library, and we have a great little branch library here in, um, in my neighborhood, and Toronto is a wonderful public library. And one of the reasons I go into the library is that I can wander the shelves, and I can let serendipity happen. So that's when a, a book waves at you and goes, hey, notice me. And it's not a book I would have found by searching online, or nobody's mentioned it. It's just there's something about the book that grabs me. And in this moment, a book leapt off the shelf and went, Michael, you, me, notice me. And this book was called The Chairs Are Where the People Go. And as a facilitator and somebody who cares about group dynamics, I'm like, well, that's interesting. What is this about? So I took it home and I read it and it was a terrific book. So I looked up the author because I'm always nosy as to who writes these things. And it's a guy called Misha Globerman. I'm like, okay, that's an unusual name. I wonder who this person is. Turns out Misha is not only Toronto-based, he is neighborhood-based. He lives around the corner from me. So we got in touch. We started hanging out. We have coffees. We have teas. We go for walks together. And so when the moment came to run this podcast, you know, we will get through this. I was like, Misha is perfect. Because Misha runs a program called How to Talk to People About Things. And if ever there is a moment for going, I need to know how to talk to people about things, it might just be this moment. So let me introduce Misha a little more formally. He is a faculty director at the Ivy Academy, which is the executive education program at the Ivy Business School here in Toronto. He hosts the Trampoline Hall Lectures, which are a quirky Toronto barroom lecture series, which are a fabulous energy, fabulous speakers. It's like Ted if it had a punk spirit. Um, and of course, as I said before, he authored with Sheila Haiti this book, The Chairs Are Where the People Go, which I will just say the New Yorker, none less than the New Yorker, named as one of its top nonfiction books of that year. So he is great. You will love him. I'm happy he is here. So Misha, welcome. Hey, Michael. It's so great to be here. Yeah. I'm really happy to be talking to you about things. So that's perfect. Um, I joke that you have heard a bazillion times before in your life. No doubt. All right, so, <laughs> but I never tire of it. <laughs> so, so I think built into the, a, a course called How to Talk to People About Things is some sort of understanding that it's actually tricky at times to talk to people about things. So start us there. Why is it hard to have conversations that would seemingly seem to be relatively straightforward? It is hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for all kinds of reasons, I think. Um, it's interesting because I don't think about why it's hard. I think about a lot about how to make it easier. Mm. Um, but when I think about why it's hard, I suspect a big reason is that we're kind of stuck in our own heads. Like any situation of any complexity, you know, between you and me is going to be a situation where to solve it, you really need to kind of step outside of my individual perspective and yours uh, to be able to solve it. Right. That's not, but that's not what we're like, right? Like we have, we're, we're spectacularly kind of stuck <laughs> inside our own viewpoints, as I'm yeah. sure you know well. And we, you know, we kind of think of our own opinions as facts and we think of our own perspective as reality. And, um, and the other person we're talking to has this completely different reality that we're looking at. But we never, even though we intellectually know that, 
we somehow always just think, oh, you know, this one time, it's really, things are just the way I see. So I think that's a big part of it, that we're both sort of looking at, there's a nice, I forget, there's a neuroscientist who has a description of which I really love, which is that like, we think we're looking at the world, but what we're really looking at is a model inside of our heads. Yeah. And each of us is looking at the model and, and, and our models are different, but we think we're both looking at the world and that leads to all kinds of confusion. Yeah, it is so convincing that our point of view is reality. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's so persuasive and just so invested in that being true because it actually gets way more complicated <laughs> as soon as you start going, wait, maybe everything that I see and believe and interpret isn't the whole truth or even some of the truth or maybe any of the truth. It's just kind of how I show up around that. You know, it reminds me of that insight, I think from neuroscience or maybe it's a cognitive bias or maybe they're the same. When you, when you analyze people's motives for doing things and how right. you're always forgiving of why you didn't follow through on the perspective. It's, like, you know, it's an extraordinary situation and this came up and, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I will forgive myself. Um, whereas when somebody else does it, you're like, and that's because they're a bad person. They're just yeah. a bad, unfeeling, careless, horrible person. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's, the, that's an example of that difference playing out. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's called fundamental attribution error is what that is. Yeah, it's exactly, it's that phenomenon in psychology, really well documented. But yeah, absolutely. I cut someone off, off in traffic because I'm in a rush. The other person cuts me off in traffic because they're an uncaring jerk. Yeah. So it feels that part of the formula when you say how to talk to other people about things, there's you, the other person, and the things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're probably all worth taking a look at. So to help make this easier, where do we start? Do we start with the things? Do we start with yourself or do we start with the other person? I always think you got to start with yourself. And it's a huge thing. I mean, that's the, I, you probably know this in your coaching. Do everything I say, I'm like, oh, you probably know this in your work too. It probably comes up a lot. Is that, is that it's really easy for people to look at a situation and say, oh man, this con these conversations are not going well. Clearly what needs to change is the other person needs to do something different. <laughs> right. Clearly what needs to change is if only reality weren't the way it is. Right. The problem is that those aren't actually things that can change. What you can change is yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the, in the, when I do training and coaching and you know, consulting with people, what I really try to do is avoid that, um, that strong pull to think, oh, I know what the solution is. The solution right. is for them to be different. Right? <laughs> so you really want to focus on you. Is there... A t is there a way of of becoming better able to resist that rush to oh I know what I know how they need to change to fix this I mean I, I, I mean even with somebody who knows a bit about this like I do I still notice it in myself all the time particularly with people who I'm close to like my wife ah so 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 hard <laughs> no the people we're worst with are the people we love the most and we care the most. And I think all of that, so I think a big part of it is self-awareness. A big part of it is knowing, acknowledging yeah. that you're imperfect at this stuff. A lot, when I, when I do the workshops, increasingly a lot of what I do and is when I work with people, and this is, becomes increasingly clear, sorry, increasingly important with people who are more accomplished and more senior and more, yeah. um, is, is, to, is to really give them some space to acknowledge the fact that we're all, we all mess this up. I mean, I mess this up. I, I literally think about like nothing but this, like, you know, 40 <laughs> hours a week for 15 years. And still, every yeah. day, I get it wrong. And, and I think actually knowing that 
is, is a tremendously important first step. So part right. of it is not, I think the big mistake is thinking that you're gonna, that you can, you know, that you're gonna get it right all the time. Um, so knowing, knowing what the mistakes are that you're gonna make is I think it is, is, a, is at least a step towards being able to avoid them. So are there, this may not be a question that works, but I'm just wondering if there are maybe one or two rookie mistakes or rookie patterns of behavior that you notice in sure. self that you're like, start, here are two things to look out for because they're almost certainly going to occur. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you one, I'll give you a couple, I'll give you a couple that are sort of mental and a couple that are sort of behavioral. That oh, cool. Sense. Yeah, that's great. So the mental mistakes are um, basically the mental mistake that we make. It, it almost always boils down to the same mental mistake. The mental mistake that we make is we think, I know what's going on here. I know the whole story and I know what the solution is. Right. That mental mistake. Um, and, 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 and the flip side is, you know, that other person is wrong and I'm right. And, you know, they don't need to solve the problem. I can solve it myself. All of that. that picture. When you say to people, is that how you want to be? Everyone understands, like, of course, I shouldn't be like that. Right. But then you ask people about an individual situation that's stressful for them. They almost always describe it in those terms. Mm -hmm. So to avoid that mental mistake, to say, you know what? This situation that's so important to me that I care so much about, that's such a big deal for me, there are parts, there are going to be parts of it that I don't know. There's parts of that situation that the other person knows about that I need to find out about. But if you can get out of that mental mistake, the mental mistake of thinking that you know the whole story and that your solution is going to be the best solution. Right. If you can get out of that mental mistake, that's huge. So there's that mental mistake. Um, then yeah. there's behavioral things you can do to help you get out of that mental mistake. Well, before, before you go there, I'm just going to sit with this for a moment to go, sure. you know, <laughs> whatever's happening, I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and just going, it's, it's, it's both, remarkably empowering whilst also somehow being humbling at the same time yeah around that it's you've got this freedom to go you have permission just not to know what the hell is going on <laughs> no absolutely and part of it too is that if you can get into that mode one of the things that i have people watch for when i when i help people when i coach yeah. people or teach people on this in their class is actually pay attention when you're in a situation to how you feel in your body right. so like one thing that I, that I notice in myself is that like when I get into that mental state of like that sort of I'm in charge here, I know everything mental state, my body feels tense, my muscles are tense, my jaw is clenched, I, 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 feel, I feel myself exercising exertion even when I'm not, even if I'm not physically doing anything. Right. But, if I, but if I'm able to say, okay, you know what, this situation is hard, but we don't know where it's gonna go, we're gonna solve it together, I have to stay, I have to remain curious, I have to remain open, my whole body feels different and I don't feel like I'm um, like lifting a heavy rock up a hill. Yeah. So part of it is, you're right. It can be. It's it's hard to get there, but paradoxically, like you can do it. It also feel it also it's also easier. And you know, one of the things that I've um, worked with myself, and sometimes try and teach other people as well, is to go. Here's a here's a useful insight for you. Your body leads your brain. Yeah. So if you start noticing the different physical state between I'm tense because I feel I should or I have to know it all and I'm more open and relaxed because I'm just accepting that I, I'm, I'm, I at best know a part of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And then you go, so get your body into whatever that physical state is of the latter piece. 
and your body will then tell your brain, oh, you know, you're in, you're in the place of kind of relaxed openness and curiosity. So that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and have that physical state lead the mental state that you're hoping to be in. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So I'm getting the mental model. I'm seeing that whole piece around. You have permission because it's the truth. <laughs> you, don't yeah. know, you don't really know what's going on. So you're allowed to be curious about it and you're allowed yeah. to let go the responsibility and the anxiety of feeling that you do know exactly what's needed and what's going on. Yeah. Where do, where do I go from here? Well, there's a few things. I mean, I, there's so much, but I guess I'm thinking, yeah. I guess what, what I'm inclined to do is now move from the sort of mental part to the behavioral part and think sure. about like, what are some like kind of actionable tips or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, so, and there's a couple of things. One is just to prepare and preparing. One of the things I do a lot in the teaching I do is really think about how to prepare and, and preparing. I think the way that 99% of people will prepare if left over their own devices is going to send you down the wrong path. So I think mm -hmm. most of us, the way we prepare is we sort of ruminate and we say, okay, I'm going to tell them this and this and this and this mm -hmm. and this. And if they say that, I'll say this back. And here's how I'm going to get my way. Oh. And here's my strategies, you know. I've had so many of these highly dramatic conversations in my head where yeah. I end up by plunging my rapier-like wit through their evil black yeah. heart to say, look, yeah. I, am, <laughs> exactly. I am morally superior <laughs> to you. And this is... This yeah. is the victory that has always been mine. And I'm like, right. that ne that ne that's never that helpful. It never works. Exactly. And, it's, and, it's, and again, that's that picture, like that fantasy where you're going to win, yeah. you know, and be like, all right, that's not how it's. And so, what, so one of the things we do a lot to prepare is to think about like, to, to before you go in, think about things like, um, like, what don't I know? Yeah. What are some things that I, what are some things that I might want to find out from them? Um, and another, and, and that's a huge one. Another thing is to think about when you think about your goals, Try to think about kind of the biggest picture goal. So, so for instance, you might have a, a stressful situation with a coworker and you think you know exactly the way to solve the problem. And so you might go in and try to push for that solution. But what you want to do is step back and look at the bigger picture and say, no, what you really want is to resolve the issue with your coworker. Right. And so you kind of want to set a goal for yourself when you do the preparation mm. that lets you be open-ended. Taking some time to think about what your goal, to really think about what your goals are. And also very often you think your goals are, and part of why you can do that is you can shift when you get in, right? So you say, oh, my goal is to collaboratively solve this problem together. But then five minutes in, what I realize is what I'm actually trying to do is, you know, make them feel like an idiot. Well, if I, if I wrote down the goal before, it decreases my chances <laughs> yeah. of, of making that shift. So taking some time to do that prep and actually writing the things down. That's nice. That's really nice, Misha. Yeah. You know, where that takes me is uh, one of the tools that I've sometimes taught in programs is the 3P tool. And the 3P says any conversation can have three points of focus to it. Mm -hmm. um, project, people, patterns. Right. And so to break that down, project is like the, the thing itself, the thing we're working on. Yeah. People is obviously the relationship with the, the other people in the ecosystem, in the conversation. Yeah. And the patterns are your own behavior, the own kind of ways you keep repeating yourself. Yep. And where I go with this is when you go, hey, Michael, have a goal, but have think, think more broadly and more systematically and more generously about what your goals might be. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can have a goal about a specific project outcome I want from this. You know, I want the report. I want this thing to be done or not done. I want a change in direction on this decision. But then there's also a, uh, and I want this relationship to be enhanced. I want to co-create something. I, I, I want to assert myself as somebody who has 
a line in the sand. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can frame that. It's not just about being liked or nice. Yeah. Um, and then there's a pattern, which is like, I don't, I want to not back down on the first go yep. or I do want to back down or I want to be, I want to come off graciously or generously or sympathetically, whatever. I mean, it, it's like find your own language and your own need for who you are and what the conversation is about. But knowing that you could have at least three different areas to have these goals in might be yeah. helpful. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And then on this, on the subject of goals yeah, and, that, and that, that, that idea of thinking, it's funny. I'll do, I feel so many people who do this work, we sort of have different sort of prisms for looking at the same thing. But yeah, for me, that's very resonant, that idea. If you want to think about the relationship, if you want to think about the pattern. And for me, a lot of it's also like, where do you want to put the focus? So like, you know, I, I think a really common thing I see that happens, I have people in my classes come in and they bring conversations that don't go well. And one of the very, very common things we have is people don't talk about the pattern in the relationship when that's what really matters. Yeah. So, so there's someone who comes late all the time and, and it's really frustrating to you and it's straining on the relationship and it makes you feel disrespected and angry. And they show up late and what you say is, hey, the meeting started at nine. And yeah. so you don't even say you're late, you know, right. but even more importantly, what you don't say is the fact that they showed up today late for the meeting isn't really what the conversation's about. No. The conversation's about the pattern, about, about the pattern, about the relationship, about all this. Yeah. And so one mistake, when you're thinking about mistakes that people make, one mistake that people make, I think very often is they talk about, they have the wrong conversation and the thing they're talking about is smaller than what they yeah. really care about. So a lot of what I ask people to do, the way I put that thing that you're talking about, I ask people to sort of zoom out and sort of yeah, say right, like, yeah. what's, What's the thing, like, is there actually a bigger thing that you need to be talking about? And very mm -hmm. often that's what it is. You say, you know, you know, you know it, the problem isn't the way your boss has micromanaged you on this particular issue right now. The problem is that your boss has been micromanaging you for six months. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that's the problem. And if you talk about the smaller thing, you're going to have a conversation that's crazy because your boss says, hey, why don't you make that thing red and not blue? And what you do is you push back. You say, yeah. no, 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 I want to make it blue. And your boss is like, God damn it. <laughs> and your boss is like, right, right. And you're like, your boss is like, why do you care so much about red versus blue? Just make it red. And you're like, I want to make it blue. And you're having a stupid conversation about red yeah. and blue. Whereas if you can say to your boss, hey, I want to talk to you about how we, how we work together. Mm. And there are some things that are challenging for me. And you know, I've, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you have to do to that, but to be able to have a conversation about that bigger pattern, that's yeah. the conversation you're done. So I think one mistake, people make is they have the wrong conversation and typically it's too small. It's too small of a conversation. The other, the other thing, so yeah. yeah. No, well, here's what I wanted to ask around that because this is such good guidance and you know, I'm, I'm violently agreeing here on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you help people to have the courage to have a conversation like this? Because I can bet, because I'm thinking it myself, so I'm just going to assume it's true for the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Rookie mistake, <laughs> exactly what we talked about at the start of the call. But it's, like, it's a bunch of people who I'm, I suspect are going, well, that sounds ideal, Misha, but have you met my boss? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, am I ever going to have that conversation with that person? Sure. And there is a place where you're like, actually, it's an act of courage to do this. Yeah. How do you help fuel that courage? I think there's a, there's a bunch of different ways, and it really depends on the situation. I mean, the, the sort of most mundane, mundane answer really is just practice. Mm. And, and, I think, and I think for courage, I think that one thing that I do think is that I think that all of us as humans, we have this like spectacular ability to, um, in our sort of discounting function, we will, we will avoid any amount of near-term pain for any amount of long-term benefit. We're just built <laughs> that way. And then we tell ourselves stories to support that, right? To reduce the cognitive dissonance. We don't want to say like, 
We don't say that. We tell ourselves a story that makes sense of it. And I think one version of that story that we make sense is very, very often people, like, you know, I'll talk to someone else, people in my class, they're like, oh, you know, there's this conversation, there's this pattern that's been going on my, on my work for two years, for, for a year, for two years. It's been driving me absolutely crazy. It makes my life miserable. Yeah. I say, well, why don't you talk to your boss about it? And they say, I don't know, that sounds terrible. I'm like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Right. I don't know. It's like, is your boss going to fire you? They're like, no, my boss wouldn't really fire me for this, for bringing this up. No. What could happen? Well, it could be a little awkward. Okay. Yeah. What's, the con what's the consequence if you don't raise it? Your job will be terrible for years and years on end. <laughs> but as humans, we, we sort of tell ourselves like, oh, I don't know, this risk is too enormous. So, so, so part of it is just to sort of calibrate that, you know, it's just like behavioral economics, you know, Kahneman and Tversky stuff. It's like calibrate your like, the story you're telling yourself where you're, mm. where you're sort of overvaluing this near term. So partly I think the conversation's hard as hard as you think. And one thing, one thing I encourage people to do is actually keep a log. Like right. say, you know, before you have these conversations that you think are gonna be really hard, you know, how badly do you think it's gonna go? And I think for most of us, the conversations, they don't always go better than you think, but more right. often than not, for most of us, they go better. The other thing, the other thing too for, for courage, and I think it's really important in ongoing relationships, um, is that, and I think this is, is, is a, and again, I think this is sort of what almost all of this comes down on, is, comes down to is that so much of this is like, don't make it all your problem. Like make, right. it, make it collaborative. So even the fact that if you and your, if you're scared to raise things with your boss, that's a problem between you and you and your boss. That's not a yeah. problem for you. So if you just sort of work on your courage, you're kind of doing the opposite of what I advise people to do, which is you're okay. trying to solve a problem privately on your own. That's actually a shared problem. Right. So what in fact you want to do is try to work on, so the really big picture conversation isn't even the fact that your boss micromanages. So if your boss, your boss says red, not blue, and there's a pattern of micromanaging and you can't talk to your boss about it, the biggest issue is you want to be more comfortable talking to your boss about patterns in your relationship that aren't working on. Right. Now, the one thing I want to say is that people are like, oh, my boss is a monster. My boss is a monster. I'm going to say, I, mean, I don't know how many real monster bosses out there, but I'm guessing a 90, at least, you know, a very huge percentage of bosses, if you say to them, say, just say to them, hey, listen, how, if there are things in how we get, you know, if there are issues in how we get along that, um, that we could talk about that might make me a more effective employee, would you like to hear about them? <laughs> very few bosses are going to say no to that question. Right? Very few bosses yeah. be like, no, I don't want you to raise problems with me that are going to make yeah. you a better employee. Now, in practice, some might not be good at it, whatever, but no one's going to say no. Just so if you literally ask them that question and they say yes, now you have your, their permission. Yeah. And then you go to them two weeks later and say, hey, remember a couple weeks ago when you said you wanted me to let you know if there was a problem? Well, there's nothing I want to talk to you about. Yeah. And if you feel nervous about it, you can make that part of the conversation too. You don't just solve that yourself. You can say, hey, listen, one thing I want you to know, I'd like to be able to raise issues with you. And I want you to know, sometimes I feel nervous about it. Right. You know? And again, I think most bosses would say, oh, I want to make you feel more comfortable. Even bosses who are kind of jerks, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them. So making it, so getting yeah. their permission to talk, I think makes it a lot, puts it less on you. And there's just something that it's taken me forever to learn, but I'm, I'm getting there <laughs> is the more you do it, the less weird it is. Yeah. You know, the, and so just to recognize the first time you disrupt a pattern of not talking about it and you go, could we talk about it? Yep. The boss is like, okay, what, what podcast did you go on? Wait, did you go on that Mr. <laughs> Blueberman's course? That's terrible. <laughs> so the yeah. first time it happens, it's weird. And it's, um, there's a moment there to go, um, I think just giving permission for it not to work that well the first time. Oh just gosh, go, it yeah. might not work that well the first time. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. It just means that you've created a little bit of a shock to the system. Yep. 
the system, the boss, and you, you're all going, what just happened here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but if you go, the first time is the, is the ice breaking time. And the second time it's a little easier. And, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll just say this, one of the, one of the patterns that I've introduced with Shannon, who's the CEO at Box of Crayons now, in an attempt to unweird the difficult conversation is at the end of every meeting that we have, we kind of formally ask the question, what needs to be said that hasn't been said? That's amazing. And it's, it's, you know, most of the time it's nothing <laughs> because we're right. Because so far, you know, she's awesome and I haven't screwed up too badly. So we're, but it keeps giving us permission yeah. to, to, to bring in the stuff that's a little delicate and it's a little in, unformed and I'm not quite sure how to say it. Um, and, um, the more we've done it, the less frightening that, that question has been to ask you of, it, of each other. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Misha, this has been wonderful. Thank you. So I know we've, we've, we've barely touched on all you know um, about how to talk to people about things. Um, for the people who are like, I, I need to find this book, I need to find out more about Misha, where would you direct them? Uh, probably the best place to find me is on my website. Uh, if you Google Misha Globerman, uh, and you can probably spell it just about any way, and Google will auto-correct <laughs> auto it and figure it out. Don't even try to spell it right. But you can Google Misha Globerman, or you can probably Google how to talk to people about things. If you put it yeah. in quotes, it might find me. Uh, but I'm around. I've got a website. I have an email list. I offer classes. I've mostly offered them locally in Toronto, but I suspect that very soon we might stop, stop, start offering them uh, online. <laughs> So, uh, so yes. you, can, you can take courses online with me too. I also do all sorts of work, uh, not just teaching individual courses, but working with organizations, helping you teams do. get better at this sort of stuff. Indeed. Yeah. Misha, you're awesome. Thank you. This has been wonderful. So, what a great pleasure to be on your show, Michael. I'm really excited about it. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.